is the church? Is the church a building? Is the church a pastor? Or the staff? Is the church the music? The tradition? Or the ministries? These are all good things, but they are not the church. Take them away, and the church is still here. Why? Because you are still here. The church is you. The church is you with a purpose. The church is you on a mission. The church is you with a plan, a simple plan to plug into God at a weekend service, to charge up in a small group community, to live out using your gifts and passions, and to pass on your faith to those who do not know Christ. When you and I live like this, all the things we used to do in church become things we do as the church. God desires it. The world needs it. And we are called to be it. What is the church? The church is you. crack up every time I see that video because when God gave me this uh, message series a couple months ago I mean it just came as a big download so I'm like doing devotions at the dining room table and all of a sudden I grabbed a napkin and just started writing it was like you know I couldn't get it out fast enough and so on a napkin the, the whole series came to be and then the first week when I was finishing up the message, I thought, ah, oh, it'd be cool if I could do some slides with it, just kind of summarize, kind of ha-ha-ha slides, little stick figures. Got it all done, went downstairs, sat down, and God's like, you know, you should look for an opening video. And I'm like, eh, opening videos, okay. So I thought, well, I'll see what's out there. So just sitting on my phone looking. And I saw this. I'm like, within the first minute, I'm like, they're writing it on a napkin, and they have stick figures. You know, who would have thought? God is so creative. I just love it. He just loves art. He does. I mean, look at yourself. Only a mother could love that. No, no, I'm just kidding. Stop it. No. All right. So turn with me in your Bible. To Romans chapter 12, and then put your little marker or finger or uh, whatever over at Acts chapter 2. This is week two of the series Becoming the Church. And over the series, we're going to talk about what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be one body. It's supposed to be active, advancing, and preparing. That's what the church is supposed to be. Last week, we looked at the church is one body. 
Church is not just about checking an attendance box once a week for different people to come in once a week and just tolerate each other for a couple hours and then go back to their real lives. Church encompasses many facets of the believers and not yet believers' lives. It's a hospital for the wounded. It's a gym for building up the saint. It's a school for learning your, about your faith, about your purpose, about the mission. It's a family where we belong. It's a storehouse of warriors and weapons for advancing the kingdom of God. For equipping the body to do all it's commanded to do. It's a lighthouse that points the way to our eternal safe harbor. And the list could go on and on and on and on. But the church is not something we do. Church is who we are. Together, we are the church, the body of Christ. Last week, we looked at Romans chapter 12. We started with verses 1 through 8. And we realize that in order to be one body, it must start with each individual doing these simple things first. If I can be so generic here. Which is one, to offer your body as a living sacrifice to God. And then it goes on to say, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you can test and approve what God's will is. And we studied, I felt like a, a big portion of the message, we talked just on that. That there's no way you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's no way you can test and approve what God's will is until you first... Stop conforming to the world. You have to die to sell a living sacrifice. Could you just imagine, again, I'm a picture person, so, you know, imagine putting, you know, back in the old days, putting a sacrifice and the sacrifice set up. This is not what I signed up for, you know? Sorry, it, whole thing, you know, you don't just, you know, can I just sacrifice myself for a little bit, you know, and then back up? No, it's living sacrifice. But no more can you be conformed to the world. When you give your life to God, it's no longer your life. A living sacrifice means you no longer live for you, you live for him. So no longer conforming to the world, but... The big butt, God's big butt is always beautiful. I like big butt. No, God's butt, God's butt is that you stop doing this. It doesn't say, do not be conformed any longer to the world, but if you want to be conformed, just add renewing your mind. No, it says but. That means you have to stop doing this in order to do this. You can't renew your mind unless you leave the world behind. Then, then it says, you can renew your mind, transform your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Then you'll be one in Christ, it goes on to say. We who are many will form one body because each member belongs to the other. You notice there's a progression there. But each individual has to do this in order to come together as one body. God gave me an acronym for a body. 
B, building up the saints. Oh, one mission, one purpose. D is you're devoted to God and one another. And Y, you're yielded. Y is not W-H, not them, like Y, but Y. It's you're yielded to Christ who is the head of the body. Living sacrifices. And on the graphic, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. All of us must be doing our part in order for the body to become one healthy body. I told you last week that statistics are that 10 to 15% of an active church of a church body are actively involved in ministry. 10 to 15%. If somebody, if some, my body only worked, if only 10 to 15% of it worked, I'd be a paraplegic. The church body is a paraplegic body representing Christ. Something's wrong. Come on. One body. Everybody doing their part. So if you missed last week, there's a little summary, but I mean, we went really in-depth. You'll have to um, get the download. Follow me on Twitter. <laughs> so now today we'll focus on week two. The church is active. Active. Why? A body in motion. See, you guys are so good. That was from school. Or that commercial. I have seen that commercial. I won't talk about that commercial. Anyway. All right. Let's 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 do this. Let me read through. We're going to now jump into verse 9, Romans chapter 12. Let me read through it, and then we're going to do just like we did last week. We're going to break this down, okay? Verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. See, what I'm going to share with you today is 14 actions that prove sincere love. That's how the body is active. All right? So just in case you wanted to. Okay. Anyway. Verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. It's sharp. And active, pierces a heart, cuts away the junk. God, we just open up our eyes to see you, our ears to hear you, and our hearts to live you 
to the world. Jesus name. Amen. All right, let's break this down. No, I'm not going to start rapping. Thank you. <laughs> Verse 9, love must be sincere. Sincere, the definition of sincere means to be free of deceit and to be free from pretense. Now, a few weeks ago, remember we were talking about to take every thought captive, every argument that sets itself up against God and every pretense, remember? And we did a study on what pretense means. It's a pretend feeling. So when it says to uh, love must be sincere, it must be free from any pretend feelings. You ever have somebody say, oh, I love you, and you're just like, no, you don't. You can feel that, can't you? It's a pretend feeling. They're like, uh -huh, I'm supposed to love you, but I don't like you. What is that? To be free, sincere. Love must be sincere. It must be free of any pretend feelings. It must be free from any deceit, which means you want something out of it. When, the, when a boy comes up to you and says, baby, I love you. No, he don't. Mm-mm. Because I'm going to show you. I, had to, I did a study some years ago on can love, to answer the question, can love be felt without action? The answer is no. Love has to be proved by actions. It's like the girl who constantly gets beat by her man, but yet he says, I love you and I'm sorry every time. That's sickening. Or hey, in these days, the, the guy that gets beat by the girl and she says, I'm sorry, honey, I love you. You know, no. You cannot prove your love apart from actions. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That love must be sincere, but it has to be proved with these actions. That's what these 14 things are. He goes on to say, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Same thing that we looked at when we're talking about do not be conformed any longer to the world. He's saying hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Let me just give you a picture. Cling. Cling. Right? Can I grab a hold of anything else if I'm clinging to what is good? No! Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Because then your, your hands aren't open. But see, we want this, we want this, we want this. And oh, I'll take a little bit of God and then I want this and I want this. He says, no. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Let me just say, again, it said, hey, what is evil? Not who is evil. Remember, you're supposed to hate the sin, love the sinner. Because somebody loved your ugly face. I mean, my ugly face. My sinful face. Somebody did, right? In all my evil ways, somebody had the boldness to speak love to me. Now, if they would have just said, oh, you're so, you get away from me. Oh! You know? But somebody saw in me God's seed. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. God 
put a very clear picture in my mind over this hate what is evil, cling to what is good. You know, Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty three, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. Anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Jesus said that. And so this hate what is evil, cling to what is good, I'm like, well, God says, you know, people want to walk with the world, and then when something goes wrong, they want to stand against the enemy, but he says, I'm their enemy then. When you're walking with the world, oh, I don't think you got this. Maybe this side gets this. When you're walking with the world, you can't stand against the enemy that you're walking with. The one that you're opposing is God. You're either with me or you're against me. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And these things used to be bolded down, but boy, I just ripped them right. No, they were already. I didn't do it. All right. 14 action steps. Let's jump into it. Because these are how we prove sincere love. This is how you prove sincere love. He went right into it. First one, be devoted to one another. This is a love covenant, a marriage, sorry, a marriage covenant. Let's do it this way so you can, a marriage covenant with God that's proved in our love for each other. So if you're listening to this on the podcast, I put my two hands, no, too bad, you missed out, should have been here, right? Marriage covenant with God that's proved in our love for each other. Be devoted. That's how we're devoted to God is we're devoted to each other. Number two, honoring. Honoring one another above yourselves. The teens of these days, and I'm saying this because I raised six of them. Now I've only got a couple teens left. But they just don't understand honor anymore. They don't honor um, adults. They don't honor leadership. They, You know why? Because the world teaches them grab, 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 take, 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 get, stand up. You know, the world owes you, you know. And so when you're talking about what? Honor, what? Somebody before me, what? That's why you see people in crowds. Crowds used to, like, part and excuse me and, oh, what do you see now? <coughs> right? Rarely do you see somebody holding a door for somebody. You know, rarely do you say, oh, hey, please, no, you go ahead. Honoring. Fend for yourself. A selfish mentality has slithered now into the church. I told you this a while ago that when we go into a courthouse, this guy comes out in this suit, sometimes um, a cop. Um, and what does he say? For the honorable judge so-and-so, right? And then when he sits down, what do you do? If he stands up, what do you do? He doesn't have to say, he doesn't say, Simon says stand up. No, he just, you know, you know, honor. And do you move in that courthouse? Usually not. Do you get out your phone and start playing? No, you don't. You don't start talking. You don't get up and go out and get up and come back in again. No, you don't. Because you'll be held in. Giddy up. See, we know how to show honor, but we've lost honor in the house. 
You know, if we'll do that for a, a judge, why wouldn't we do that? Because we're losing honor. Honor for each other. Honor for God. It's slithered into the church. And we need to honor one another. Let me just say this and then I'll move on. When did Christianity, which is Christ-likeness, just in case you didn't know that. When did Christianity become all about you? When your circumstances are screaming one thing and your faith is whispering another, when did the world's ways begin to win out? The only moment the Christian life is all about you is the moment you surrender all your life to him. Because he would have done it all just for you. But the minute you get up from your knees, now it's all about them. It's all about them. It's not about you anymore. Honoring one another. Going on. Three, serving. Verse 11 says, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Again, please don't just read the Bible. You can tweet that one. Study the Bible. Study the Bible. Words that you think, yeah, I know what that means. Yeah, I know. Look them up again. Let me tell you, I'm this close to getting Siri saved on my phone. I don't know about you. And my Siri's a man. And when I talk to him, he says, yes, Pastor Brenda, see, honor. I'm showing him honor. Honor where honors do. But just Google it, man. Or, you know, I won't because he's so quick. He listens to my every voice, you know, and I don't want to wake him up right now. He was here first service early. But at what, what's the definition of zeal? What's the definition of fervor? You know, look these things up. Study. Said. Be a good workman. Study to show yourself approved. Correctly handling the word of God. The definition of zeal is great energy and enthusiasm in pursuit of. Fervor means intense and passionate feelings. So the Pastor B translation of this verse would read... Always be full of energy, enthusiastically pursuing God with intense, passionate feelings while serving the Lord. Where do you see roller coaster Christian in that? Oh, you wouldn't believe what day I had today. Where's zeal? Enthusiasm. Notice it's both, it's inside and outside. Intense, passionate feelings on the inside with great energy and enthusiasm in the pursuit of. He said, never be lacking. And he goes on, joyful. Be joyful in hope, verse 12. Again, this is not a hanging on till Jesus comes. Be joyful in hope. Joy comes from the... I move that thing. Keep slapping me in the face. Joy is what builds you up on the inside. Happiness has to do with your circumstances. 
I'll feel happy if my circumstances warrant happiness. The sun's shining. If it's 85 degrees out, my motorcycle's running smoothly. <sighs> I miss my... Anyway. Happiness is contingent upon our circumstances. Joy comes from our spirit giving you power to go through your circumstances. Joy. Power. And there was a study done in 1950 by Kurt Richer that speaks on the power of hope. In the 1950s, Kurt Richer, a Harvard graduate and Johns Hopkins scientist, did a series of experiments that tested how long rats could swim in high-sided buckets of circulating water before drowning. Now there's your hard-earned tax money at work. Hey, don't tweet me about that, animal rights activist. All right, I didn't do the study. I, I'm just benefiting from this study. Dr. Richer found that under normal conditions, a rat could swim for an average of 15 minutes before giving up and sinking. I wonder if they do the... <laughs> no, sorry. You know, the drowning person. Remember learning that? It's like, what? I'm drowning and I've got to go one finger. And you guys never heard of that? I am old. <laughs> Grandma Anna was the only one that said, yes, honey, I remember that. Yeah. You had to do the... Never mind. 15 minutes going on. The rats could swim for an average of 15 minutes before giving up and sinking. However, if he rescued the rats just before drowning, dried them off and let them rest briefly, and then put them back into the same bucket of circulating water, the rats could swim an average of 60 hours. 60 hours! If a rat was temporarily saved, it would survive 240 times longer. This made no sense. So they kept doing it. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just funny. How could these rats swim so much longer during the second session, especially when they were rescued right at that last of that 15 minutes? Dr. Richard concluded that the rats were able to swim longer because they were given hope. A better conclusion is that the rats were able to swim longer because they were given energy through hope. The rats had a clear picture of what being saved looked like, so that kept them swimming. Power in hope. Be joyful in hope. This Bible is full of examples of what it looks like to go through every situation you'll face. Be joyful and hope. This is your hope to hold on to. Because if he did it for one, he'll do it for another. Number five, patient. Be patient in affliction. 
This is a determined refusal not to allow your temporary tribulation to redefine God's truth. I want you to get used to saying, I don't know, but I trust God. When you go to pray with somebody and you've seen the person before completely healed, they're jumping out of their wheelchair all around. You pray for the second person and nothing happens. And they look at you like, why not? I want you to say, I don't know, but I trust God. Because what we want to do, our flesh says, we need to make an excuse here. And so we end up redefining God's truth. Patient in affliction means that you don't know why it's happening. And you don't have to know. But you still trust God. Can't tell you countless baby funerals I've had to do and been a part of. And the parents look at you and say, why? I, I don't know. We live in a fallen world. I do know God is a good God. And when he created everything, he said it is good. But man. But he gave man free choice. And sometimes man doesn't choose wisely. But it's okay to just say, I don't know. But don't let your temporary tribulation redefine God's truth. Faithful. Be faithful in prayer. Faithful in prayer. This is a continued action, a persistence. You know, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus told the parable of the persistent widow, right? The unjust judge, who she kept going to him, kept going to him, kept going to him. Finally, he's like, woman, you're going to wear me out. Fine, I'll just give you what you're asking for. Listen, and at the end of this, Jesus said, Then the Lord said, Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who still have faith? See, it says faithful in prayer. As long as you're standing on God's word. Is God a healer? Yes. Does he heal all? Yes. So if somebody needs healing, do you just pray for him once? No! Keep praying! Keep praying! Keep praying! Right? Think about it. Would you only pray for somebody who needs salvation in your family once? I'll tell you, as a parent, and I've got a couple still out there, that I, don't, I didn't just pray for them, oh God, save them, and then never pray for them again. I'm praying for them all the time. Oh Lord, save them, save them, save them, save them, Lord, save them, save them. Keep them from dying before they get saved, you know. It's constant. Constant, persistent. And Jesus gave that parable so that he will, I mean, he, persistence in prayer is not a little spoiled kid in the aisle of a grocery store throwing a tantrum wanting his way. That's not the persistence in prayer. It's a God your word says. 
God, so until you tell me differently, I'm going to keep praying. Would you ever stop praying for somebody, like I said, to come to the Lord? No, you keep praying for them. So to get healed, you keep praying for them. Keep praying for them. Keep praying for them. Keep praying. Keep praying. It shows more faith to keep believing for the same issue than it does to just pray once and walk away. Mm -hmm. How long have you guys been praying for revival? Long time. Grandma Anna, long time, huh? I got a message from somebody. It was Kelly who owns the um, Ursa Major coffee shop in Beulah. She dropped her daughter. I forgot to tell you this. I don't even know where Pastor Denny is. He's tall, too. He's probably sleeping. Under oh, he's in class. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Friday night at 8 o'clock. Kelly texts me and she said, I just dropped my daughter off at the church to your lock-in thing. Was literally in tears pulling out. They told me at that time there was 197 kids in the building. You guys are doing something right. Thank you for we have spent so many years praying for the youth of this county for the harvest that I seen tonight. Keep praying. Keep praying. Faithful in prayer. Number seven, sharing. Share with God's people who are in need. What is the most used word by toddlers? Mine. 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 It's like the seagulls in the Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 right? We have to teach them to share. But then as we get older, we just are able to use our eloquent words, and it doesn't sound like mine, 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 but to God it sounds like, oh, so it's just mine, mine, mine. Do you have any? No, it's mine. No, I don't have enough time. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I don't have enough. It's mine, 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 mine. All over again. Share. Share with God. James 2 goes into uh, the whole scriptures talking about faith. Faith without works is dead. It's useless. But faith will be completed or proved right by your actions. It goes on to say that if you see somebody who's hungry, needs something, and you say, well, bless you. Hey, go off and be well fed and do nothing for him. It says your faith is useless. What good was that? Oh, I'll pray for you, honey. What? I need food. Right? And you say, well, I don't have enough. There's that mine, mine, mine. I don't have enough. I, I, somebody else can, and I'll pray that somebody else meets your need. God says, wait a minute. I put something in your hands, even if it seems little to you, and until you let it go, I can't give you anything more. You keep crying, God, give me more, but you're the little toddler still holding on to your two little toys. He's like, I'm trying to give it to you, but... You can't grab a hold of it because you won't let go of what you have. So share with everybody. Share, share. I'm going to try to go quickly over these next few. Amy's reminded me my time has come to an end. Hospitable. Aid is hospitable. Notice that he didn't say be hospitable. He said practice hospitality. There's a difference. 
to just be hospitable. You're like, how are you? Oh, how are you? Oh, how are you? Practice hospitality means open up your home and let people come in. Go into other people's home. Share food. Eat together. Sugar is a good thing, right, bro? Hey, sugar. Mmm, goodies, cookies, share. Be hospitable. Hospitality, that's what life groups are. It's practicing hospitality. Get in a life group or start a life group. Talk to Pastor Neil when he gets back and open your home up, man. Clean that thing out once in a while. Oh, no, I mean, just let people in. Tell them you'll open your, your house and have life group if they bring the goodies, right? Come on. Number nine, blessing. It says, bless those who persecute you. But see, we're, we're real good at blessing those who bless us. Blessings, blessings, blessings. But he says, bless those who persecute you. Oh, that's a tough one. Because somebody says something bad to us and all of a sudden we want to go tell the world. Usually by Facebook, right? So-and-so hurt my feelings. So-and-so did this. So-and-so did that. And all of a sudden now we're slandering so-and-so. And now the sinful act that they did is no worse off than your slander of them. But it's said to bless. You know what that means? It means to release and forgive. To ask God for them. Lord, don't hold that sin against them. And that means not slandering them. Don't tell the world about how evil this person was and what evil they did. And then, but I forgive them. No, you don't. It's not forgiveness. Tell you forgiveness is Stephen, the first martyr who is being stoned to death, cried out, Lord, forgive them. Don't hold this sin against them. Blessing, forgiveness is when Jesus nailed on the cross, cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Blessing them is asking God, don't hold that sin against them. I don't hold it against them. God, please don't hold that against them because they don't know what they're doing. Blessing. Ten, rejoicing. Real simple. Rejoice. Don't be a wet blanket. Don't be a pessimist. Don't, don't be the always having to be the one that throws the negative into every positive. Just because, well, let's look at both sides of it. Why is that better? It's not better. Telling testimonies to each other is rejoicing. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Telling testimonies not only energizes you and excites you and, and gives you something to rejoice over, it also gives you permission because if God did it for them, he'll do it for me. If he did it for you, he'll do it for me. God does have favorites. All of us. 11. Mourning. Mourn with those who mourn. I do have to admit, some people are just naturally gifted this way. Like my sister's one of them. Is she in here? Oh, she left it. She's one of those, I'll hug a stranger in the grocery store because you look like you need a hug. And strangers will cry on her shoulder. And she's like, oh, compassionate. Me, I'm more like a drill sergeant. I'm like, suck it up, Nancy. Get over it. 
over too well at the funeral. So I got to be quiet. And you know, we're always bad-mouthing Job's friends. But the best thing, and maybe the only thing good that they did was when they first came to him, they sat down and just sat quietly with him. Sometimes that's all you can... That's that's more me. I'm not like that. Ah, I'm more like, I'll just sit here and be quiet with you. Mourn with those who mourn. But don't leave them there. Don't get up and leave them there. When the time is right, then lead them to Jesus. And if they ask you those tough questions during that time, tell them, I don't know. Or Pastor Brenda hasn't taught on that one yet. I don't know, but I trust God. I don't know, but I trust God. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. This harmony is like a an orchestra where there's all these sections of different instruments and you know 10 20 people in those sections and, and yet they all come together in agreement to one song and all of a sudden there's this deep rich sound that's harmony that's complementing adding value to each other that's the harmony it's talking about living in harmony adding value to others 13, doing what is right, verse 17, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right. If we're always focusing on not doing the bad, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Then we actually create neural pathways in our brain that just reinforces that negative behavior. If we're constantly focusing, oh, don't do that, oh, don't do that, don't, don't do that, don't do that, don't, 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 don't. He says, just do what's right. <laughs> Focus on, and those things kind of like start falling off. You know, do what is right. Do it. That's what all these 14 things are. This is how we show our sincere love is by doing right. And then he goes in to say, Oh, I almost jumped way ahead. I'm really trying to wrap up quickly. I'm talking as fast as I can. Yeah, I better share this. Sorry. Doing what is right. Doing what is right. Doing good. James 4.17 says, If anyone knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. Ezekiel chapter 3 talks about that if God tells you to go tell someone something and you don't do it, their blood is on your hands. But if he tells you to go tell somebody something and you go and do it and they don't repent and as far as you're concerned, you see no fruit of what you just told them, he says you're then erased of their blood. Their blood is no longer on your hands. Do you understand if you know to do good? So if, if the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, go pray for that person do it. He tells you, hey, you better go tell this person that. You better go do it. If you know to do good, do it. Steal that from Nike. Just do it. Verse 14. Here it is. The last one. Live at peace. And I love how he, he, he lays it out here. If it is possible, 
as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. See, when somebody gets into disagreement with somebody in the church and then they want to counsel with me, and so I set up a meeting and I'll ask them, please tell me what's, what's going on. If they start, well, he and, and he, no, you have to explain it without talking about him. Well, how can I do that? Tell me what you did. Tell me how you can resolve this issue. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. See, it's not about all men being nice and peaceful to you. Because nobody, honey, nobody promised you the world would be peaceful. Or fair. My kids, oh, I loved it when they would stomp their foot and say, that's not fair. <laughs> I know. I'm just teaching you a lesson. Because the world's not fair either. You might as well learn that at home. And speaking of home, living at peace, do whatever it takes to make your home a home of peace. Because I told my boys, which my daughter, my oldest is a daughter, so she was, she was just smart. Anyway, I told the boys all the time, the world sucks. Evil. They'll persecute things. They'll want to chew you up and spit you out. But in this home, you can do whatever you want. Rest and relax. You're completely loved. There's peace in this home because I'm going to build you up and equip you and put the armor on you so when you go out there, you can take the world. So do whatever it takes that your home is a home of peace from the world. All right, that was just a side note. Sorry. I'm really concluding now. But Paul concludes these verses by teaching you right here that it's not just about these 14 actions of love doing inside the church. He reminds us, oh, by the way, love your enemies the same way. This sincere love, these 14 action steps that prove your sincere love, oh, by the way, that's for everybody. Your enemies too. And then he goes into verse 21 and concludes, Do not be overcome by evil, but you will overcome evil by doing good. This is how you overcome evil. And then in Acts chapter 2, the early church that started meeting together, they did all 14 of these things before these 14 things were even written about. So these things were written out of what they knew church was supposed to be like. Because when they got together, just in these five verses of Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, it says the believers were devoted to the teaching, studying of God's word. They were devoted. They were devoted to the church. And what was funny is that they didn't have a church. But the letters that was written to them, you'll notice over and over again, Paul will say um, to Steve, and the church who meets in your home, 
So that's like me saying, writing a letter to Pastor Ken of Sun Life Church and says, to Pastor Ken and the church that meets at Sun Life. See, they understood who the church was, that they were the church. And they devoted themselves to teaching, studying the word. They devoted themselves to each other, to the building up of the body, everyone doing their part, to eating together. Oh, 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 oh. As all, everybody's stomach growls in unison. In their homes with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, not griping, not complaining, not gossiping, not slandering, but enjoying the favor of all people and praying together. And the results, the results was they took care of everyone's needs. There wasn't one needy person among them. And God added daily to their number through salvations, healings, deliverances, daily to their number. We want results like that, don't we? Come on. Again, becoming the church, we must be one body. We must be actively loving others through these action steps. Church is not something we do, it's who we are together. We are the church, the body of Christ. Dan Moeller said the most damning, no, not damning thing, the most damaging thing. I did that first service too. And I said, I'm not going to do that again. Don't do Oh, see, I created a neural pathway that just reinforced I was going to do it again. It's your example. Dan Moeller said the most damaging thing a parent can do is take your kids to church and make them think the goal of Christianity is church attendance. If your life is not Christ-likeness, but is focused only on Sundays and getting to church, then you're teaching your kids inadvertently that Christianity is only about church attendance. With no real validity of Christ in your life or your family on a daily basis. Christ-likeness is not church attendance. You see, going to church will never change the world. But taking the church to the world changes everything. And that's what we'll talk about next week when we're talking about the church's advance. So would you just stand up where you're at? And let's just settle in our hearts right now. Let's let the word settle in our hearts. It's almost like, in, I know it's crude in, in, in a way, but it's almost like digesting the word that we were just chewing on. You need to let the Holy Spirit put that word through you. So when we take in the word, don't just take it and run. That could be a gassy outcome. Just saying. But slow down and let the word get in you and through you. Digest the word. Chew on the word. Holy Spirit, we just surrender to you right now. Just smear your presence all over us. God, let your word just work its way through us. God, you know my heart and my passion is that this church, us, we 
would be a body that are not just hearers of your word, but we're doers of your word. God, that we're an active body, a healthy body, one body. You, Jesus, are the head of this body. We yield completely to you. Use us, use us, use us. So right now when Amy sings this song, could you do that song again, Amy? This um, song that she sung earlier, the um, So Will I, that song has been wrecking me lately. seem to hear that everywhere I go. And I mean, I'm almost dangerous driving my vehicle when this song comes on because I'm like, so will I, Lord, you know? But there's parts, I mean, the words of this song, and I do have to admit, um, when she first sung this song, I'm like, there's just some songs It's like, you know, it's too wordy, Lord. I don't even like this song. And I just forced my way through the song whenever she'd do it for worship. And then it was, I'm sorry, I did. I'm being honest here, lady. Transparent to a fault. Anyway, and then I heard it on the radio, and I mean, it was like crisp. I could hear every word, and it's like, oh, you know, yeah, oh my goodness. You know, the stars are made to worship God. So will I. You know, if all creation longs to show you what, so will I. And that that verse where he says, and at your word, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath. I just breathe, I just inhale and just take in that immense amount of God's awareness. I, I don't even know. It's just, it's so big, I can't even describe it. That if we would just get this, that all God's trying to do in you is all of him and all of you in him and all of him in you you know that's what Jesus prayed in the garden my prayer is that that they would be one father as you and I are one you and me I'm in you them and me us and you to be one to understand God's greatness wants to be in you Why? For the world to see how much God loves them. Because remember, it's not all about you anymore. So let's just, let's just worship together. And I really, every week I ask you, just get up front, man. That leaves pride behind and it puts right in God's face and says, here am I, Lord. Here am I, Lord. Here am I.